Welcome to the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics. Here is your host, Lori Reichel, the Puberty Prof, a nationally recognized health educator, author of the award-winning book, Common Questions Children Ask About Puberty, and creator of the Talk Puberty app. And welcome to the Puberty Prof Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lori Reichel, the Puberty Prof. For this season, the fall season of the Puberty Prof Podcast, I have chosen to help you, the listeners, with more tools about how to talk with young people about puberty, other growing up topics, and life skills so they can be the healthiest people they can be ever. That's why this season I had decided to focus on the National Sexuality Education Standards. The last episode, I talked about the sexual health section of these standards with Anita Sheffer. She is a wonderful school health educator that just retired in New York, and we read off some of the performance indicators for the section for the younger grades. Now, what's really interesting to me is that the reference to sexual health, when we talk about that, we talk about HIV and other forms of STIs or Ds, but Backing up a little bit, when we talk to younger children, we really, when we talk about diseases, we're talking about germs and germs transmission. So I decided that we're going to have an episode that focuses on simple germ transmission, personal hygiene, as well as this germ of COVID that's going around and vaccinations, because I believe that this is something that we need to start talking to young people about when they're younger, about, you know, how do we clean our hands and stuff like that. So to help me out, I got connected with this really interesting person. Her name is Dr. Ajua Smalls Monte. Dr. Ajua Smalls Monte is a physician, scientist, and writer. And she has done some work in the viral immunology research for many years and currently practice psychiatry in New York City. So this is really neat for me to connect with her. And her mission is to empower people by sharing information about health, wellness, and mental illness. In addition, she is co-author of the book, Anjule the Brave, All About Vaccines. Without further ado, let me ask her to say hi to you all, and thank you so much for being here, Dr. Smalls. Thank you. You want to say hi to our audience? Hi, Lori. Thank you for having me here today. I'm so happy to join you and your listeners on this program. Well, thank you again for being here. And would you mind sharing some of who you are and your background? Yeah, like you said, I am a physician scientist and writer. I became interested in science and infectious diseases in high school. And so when I was applying to colleges, I knew it was with the purpose of studying microbiology, biochemistry, and then probably going on to become a research scientist. While in undergrad, I did HIV research. And also for my PhD research, I did HIV uh, vaccine-related research. And after that, I went to medical school and fell in love with psychiatry and became a psychiatrist. So right now I practice emergency psychiatry in New York City. 
And what that is, is if you come to the emergency room in a crisis, whether it's for depression, mania, you're psychotic, have, um, you know, you're withdrawing from drugs or alcohol, intoxicated, I'm the person that uh, will see you there. So that's what I do for my day job. And then recently I've gotten into writing. So I've written for various outlets like ABC News. With that, I've also wanted to not only talk with adults and communicate to adults, but also children, hence me writing the book, Anjali the Brave, all about vaccines. (laughs) I find it fascinating that you have this path of microbiology and then you got a doctorate and also a medical degree. You support young people about personal hygiene. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking that's because the microbiology part or why do you think this is important for young people to be taught this whole aspect of our life of hygiene? I think it's important because we all want to live long, healthy lives. And part of that is being clean. A lot of children used to die before they reached the age of 10 from infectious disease. The average age of um, people used to be 40, 50 years old, you know, maybe 100, 200 years ago. And a lot of times death was due to infectious disease. And with a lot of the advances in science, understanding how um, disease is spread through germs and how to treat um, infections with antibiotics, prevent them with vaccines, our longevity has greatly increased. So now we're instead of living to age 40, 50, we're living until age 80, 90 plus. When I teach an introductory health education course at the college level, I usually have my students process what has happened over the past 100 to 200 years. And I say to them, and they're college age students, and I say to them, you know, you folks, you'd be considered middle age, you know, and you're supposed to be having a family or a full-time job or something like that. And I'd be yeah. that older person, like, why is she living that long? Because the age expectancy was so much younger. So, so much has happened in our society where we can live longer and healthier lives. Mm-hmm. And you're also a believer that people need to understand germ transmission, if I'm correct. Yeah. So I would say there are a lot of things to think about um, with germ transmission, but I guess we're first having to understand what germs are. Germs are microorganisms that are infecting your body. They can be bacteria, virus, fungi, even prions, if you're thinking mild cow disease, that can cause you to be sick. And Ways that we can prevent that um, are many by preventing the modes of transmission. So I'm going to step back and talk a little bit more about personal hygiene for the germs that we get by contact that live on our skin um, or that we can get in other ways. So um, because your skin is one of the largest organisms in of your body. So germs are on us. And some germs that we have, we need to have. They're important. Um, we have a lot of germs in our GI system, but that helps us break down food so we can get the proper nutrients from them. But sometimes when germs grow out of control, that's when it can be a problem. So just going back to, you know, washing and keeping clean personal hygiene, that can prevent a lot of um 
germs from causing infections on our skin. So we want to wash from head to toe, um, washing your hair, different hair types need to be washed at different frequencies. Um, but definitely if it's getting dirty, if it's smelling, if it feels itchy, you want to wash that. If you are talking about your face, you know, one thing that can be caused by an overgrowth of germs is acne. Um, and that's something that starts to pick up in us when we're reaching puberty. So washing our face twice daily, especially if you have makeup on or right after you've done a lot of exercise so that that sweat, that makeup doesn't clog your pores. And then, um, you know, it reduces the risk of bacteria growing is very important. If we come down to our teeth, you know, from when we're little, we're told, brush our teeth twice a day, floss, use mouthwash. That's very important. So you don't have bacteria building up. And then our body right now we wash daily, but that wasn't always a thing mm -hmm. back in the 1800s. Even before then people used to wash it for a few times a month. Um, sometimes even a few times a year, if you were really poor and then it became weekly. And then around the 1950s, um, just as technology improved, we had running water, soap was being manufactured and um, marketed marketed it heavily, we started to wash ourselves daily. And that has been found to be pretty sufficient for keeping us clean and healthy. Um, one of the important things to wash um, besides every other place, but are the private parts, because that's where the odors come from. And odors are germs. I remember the first time learning about you know, washing these areas. It was actually in school when I was after recess and my uh, teacher at that time, I think it was in fourth grade said, some of you might notice there's some odors coming. And at this time you might start considering using things like deodorant, make sure you wash that area. And I had a teacher in middle school that would often say, you know, you have to wash. You cannot just you know, cover up funk with a perfume or scents, you, you know? So, you know, around this age, when we're 10, 12, 13, starting to go through puberty, uh, we have more of, you know, secretions from our private parts and under our arms, and that leads to odors. So washing those areas is very important with delicate soaps. And then the last thing I would say in terms of personal hygiene is that it's also really important to wash your hands. Um, we all know this. We're taught that from a little age, 20 seconds, rubbing our hands aggressively to, um, you know, remove the germs and dirt by friction is important. If you don't have hand washing available to you, there's also using um, hand sanitizer that has alcohol that can kill a lot of germs, but it's very important that you do that adequately. And also when you're washing your hands, be aware of what you touch to uh, turn the water on. You know, if you're touching the faucet, um, let's say you were cleaning meat and you are, you know, preparing meat or some other type of thing in your kitchen, but you don't want to touch your faucet with your hand necessarily, and then, um, you know, wash your hands and then go back and touch the faucet to turn it off. You might want to touch the faucet, you know, as you're turning it on with your elbow or with a cloth that you can wash later to prevent germs from being spread. So that's just a little bit about how we can keep our bodies clean.
a big one I see when I'm in a public restroom is people will wash their hands and then they turn, turn off the faucet with their hand. Yes. And that's sort of what I mean. Like if you're washing your hands and you're touching the dirty faucet, your hand is now dirty again with whatever was on that faucet before you washed your hands. So you will want to use a paper towel if you have it. Even sometimes I'll use my shirt because a lot of public restrooms don't have um, paper towel anymore trying to be Mm -hmm. um, conservative, um, environmentally uh, conservative. So use your shirt to grab that door handle. Uh, Another thing that I tend to see um, is when you're eating out or at a restaurant sometimes is in food service, um, people are wearing gloves. But it's important to remember like gloves are not a magic wand and just because you have it poof, all germs disappear, they no longer exist. So it's important, I would say, if you are washing, um, if you're, again, wearing gloves while you're preparing foods, it's important to be mindful of everything your gloves are touching because they're essentially like your hands. The gloves are only an extra layer of protection. So wash your hands before you put the gloves on, only touch the food or the items like a knife or a fork, whatever's used to prepare the food. But if you need to touch something else like money, a broom, something falls on the floor and you need to pick it up, either take those gloves off do what you have to do, wash your hands and put new gloves on. Or if you keep those same gloves on to touch the money or pick up something else that might've fallen on the floor or clean up using a dish towel or broom, then those gloves need to be thrown away because they are now contaminated. I can't tell you how many times I've gone into um, some food establishments and sometimes seen um, not the proper care being taken using the gloves and that's, you know, turned me off. And I'm nodding because I'm thinking of two different instances where my partner and I were out. And one time it was at a pizza place where we asked for a box to take home, home the leftover. And the person brought the box is like, Oh, I got it. And they touched with their bare hands, the pizza. And they were just in the kitchen touching things. And we know that they were in the bathroom earlier and we're not sure, like they, they touched the doorknob. So We didn't eat the leftovers. And then actually when we were sitting at a bar, somebody that was trying to pack our food with their hands again after touching everything else. And I'm like, no, you you can't do that. You you have to follow better practices. (laughs) Yeah. I'll also say like some germs are spread like through, uh, we say aerosols, droplets, like if you sneeze or you cough. And sometimes I think in the past we used to be, you, you know, you have a tissue, you sneeze into that, but it's in your hands, but that tissue still has a little bit of the fragments around it. So even if you have that tissue, you need to wash your hands after, or sometimes people, I was taught growing up to sneeze into your hand. I believe around, uh, probably around the time that swine flu came around, they started talking about sneezing into your arm, which is a little bit better because you have less chance of actually you know, touching lots of services with the uh, cradle of your arms. So, you know, if you're sneezing, you're sneezing like this, not necessarily into your hand, because again, your hand, you're touching a lot of surfaces, but I I still see, um, you know, sometimes 
you know, we forget or don't know when people are sneezing into their hands and then going back and touching things. And again, that, you know, I might say, oh, that's okay. I don't need to shake your hand right now or, (laughs) you know. Or they do the elbow, like the a student of mine used to call it the elbow pit. They would bring the elbow pit up, but they actually don't sneeze into it. It's more like they sneeze above or below. It's not like sneezing into yeah. that area. Yeah. And the same thing with coughing. But, mm-hmm. And you, at the elementary level, we try to teach like we we sneeze and cough that way or sneeze or cough into our shirts. And of course, if there's mucus that comes out, we have to clean it and then wash our hands. And sometimes my students would say, we're trying to do that, but our teacher isn't always doing that. And they sneeze and then they touch dittos and they hand it out. Mm-hmm. And so we do advocacy campaigns of, okay, let's do some posters for everybody and let's put them in the bathrooms. Yes. Germs are everywhere and they can stick around um, for sometimes minutes, but sometimes they can stick around for years in different places. It depends on the type of germ the surface that it's on. Um, So you just have to be mindful. I think sometimes you can, uh, you know, everything's on YouTube now. You can go and look at um, videos where people are simulating where germs or how germs spread and they might use a colored fluid and it'll show you like when you sneeze, how all the particles are spreading throughout the air. Or if you have some fluid on your hands that has germs, if how much you're touching everything and how much everything is contaminated. And if you watch that, that'll just give you a good sense of how easily they spread. Um, and the good thing is that, again, by washing your hands, that can prevent a lot of, um, that can get away rid of a lot of the germs that might be on our hands that we then can infect ourselves with by either, you know, then touching our eyes, our nose, our face or something like that. So uh, we have good trans, uh, prevention measures. So if I can bring up two other things, because I have a question about one of them. The first thing that I want to bring up is when we talk with young people or people of all ages is we have to teach them how to properly wipe after they go to the bathroom, particularly if they have a vulva in which they're supposed to wipe from the front to the back, Mm -hmm. which isn't like the most comfortable thing. Like it feels, it makes more sense to me because I have those parts to go from the back to the front, but we Mm -hmm. have to go from the front to the back. Yeah. The reason why we do that is because yes, there are, um, the urinary tract um, for people that have a vulva, the urinary tract is clean, sterile. There shouldn't be germs in that. It's um, fluid in your body concentrated by your kidneys and it comes out through your urethra. That should be clean and sterile most times, even though people can have urinary tract infections, but typically not all the time. However, in the back where things are coming out from our, you know, anal region um, that's connected to our colon, our intestines, we have a lot of um, bacteria in our gut. And that bacteria in our gut, when it's there, it's normally fine doing what it has to do. But if we get that into our clean part of our body, like our urethra, it can travel up and cause an infection that can really damage our kidneys. So that's why we teach um, 
people with vaginas to wipe from the front, from the front to the back to reduce the risk of spreading the germs from your intestines to the urethra area. Okay. Thank you. The second thing is there's a lot of um, questions that I've gotten about, can you truly get germs from a toilet? And can I ask for your answer on that? Yes, I, I haven't thought about that so much, but I know that, you know, germs live on the surface of lots of surface, lives on surfaces. So if you are sitting down to use a surface, uh, use a toilet and say somebody, um, there is some fecal matter on the toilet, potentially that fecal matter if it's making contact now with you and that fecal matter is contaminated uh, with some germs that can cause infection by it being on your body and you're also wiping around that area, it can infect you. So I would say, yes, you can get infections from the toilet. So a lot of um, people when they're, you know, if you're sitting down in a public stall, you know, it's advisable to use either those uh, protective sheets that they have um, in the bathroom, or if they don't already have them pre-made, use paper towel to line the um, line the toilet seat. Yeah, thank you. Now, can we talk a little bit about the book that you wrote? Yes. Um, so Anjali the Brave, All About Vaccines, is a kid's picture book that's essentially about the history of vaccines. I wrote that because um, I had the chance during the pandemic and the early part of the pandemic to talk and write a lot about the vaccines in news articles, um, gave lots of talks to adult audiences about the vaccine, how they work, the history of them. But I also wanted a chance to speak with or communicate with children about how vaccines work. Um, you know, who made them, the scientists from all around the world um, that made them men and women, because the story of scientists inspired me to become a scientist as well. And so that is the reason why I wrote this book. I hope that by reading it, children, their parents, any caretakers feel more under that they know more about how vaccines were created, why we get them, um, and have an appreciation for really how much they've done to improve our uh, quality of life because we don't get sick from so many infections like we used to. May I ask, why did you title the book, like the first part, Anjale the Brave. Why the brave? Because a lot of us are scared of getting shots. You know, we don't like it. And getting a shot, um, I work in, you know, the hospital with adults and a lot of adults still don't like getting shots and will refuse medications and things like that because sometimes the actual needle might hurt. So I wanted to convey that, you know, maybe getting a shot, this vaccine or any other medication like that could be scary, but we do brave things and being brave is doing something that you know is necessary, even though you feel um, nervous about it. Are there particular vaccinations that you are a supporter of? 
really all vaccinations. Uh, I can't think of any that I would necessarily say absolutely no, there is no indication. Some are more critical in terms of getting it based on how infections are going around the world at a certain time. But if it's available to you, I would say get it. Right now, the biggest thing that we're facing is COVID. And in America, only about two thirds of adults have gotten the vaccine and um, so much fewer children um, and even less, you know, you know, fewer adolescents, but even less when it comes to children under the age of five. And I would say, even though right now and, you know, over the course of the pandemic, the majority of people that have really suffered or died from the virus have been adults. Children, young adults, adolescents can get COVID and can have long-term consequences from it, like MISC, or um, they can also get long COVID as well. And those are things that you want to prevent. Those are things that might be with you for a very long time or forever. So again, the vaccine has been tested in so many people bills over billions of people worldwide have gotten the vaccine and are doing well. So I would definitely advocate for getting the COVID vaccine at this time. It's weird that in our lifetime, we're going to have this pandemic that we can refer to. Mm -hmm. There hasn't been any pandemics until this one in my lifetime. I don't think so. And which pandemic is, it's a world event. That's mm-hmm. one of those epidemiology or microbiology terms, isn't it? Yes. And I remember learning about the 1918 flu pandemic and in school and just how it ravaged the world, killed 50 million people was the official count, even though it probably was a lot higher. Um, and even in um, you know, the stories of various families I know um were affected by the 1918 pandemic. So to see this come around again and, you know, being in New York, the epicenter, it was, it was devastating. You know, I, I know so many people that, um, you know, people myself that died um, as a result of COVID and um, people that, you know, had their family members die as well. And so it really came and devastated us. And I'm glad that we had a vaccine in less than a year for this. Yeah. And one thing I would say is a lot of people have expressed, oh, I'm nervous because the vaccine was developed so quickly. But it wasn't just all of a sudden, you know, um, SARS, uh, the SARS virus has been around for nearly two decades. It came around in 2002, 2003. Um, and scientists have been researching how to make an effective vaccine against SARS, uh, like SARS-CoV-1, now we're on SARS-CoV-2, for decades. So we already had those um, knowledge of how to fight that type of vaccine in place. The mRNA um, technology was already being researched for decades as well. Um, Many people were in the clinical trials. So there's been so many, much research, decades of research that have gone into the vaccine. And we are truly um, lucky as a civilization that a vaccine was available so readily after this organism was identified. I did HIV vaccine research for almost a decade. And um, when the HIV 
uh, virus was discovered, it was hoped that in a couple of years, a vaccine would be discovered. And obviously that hasn't happened despite all of the research um, that has gone into it. Well, since you raised that up, I have on my screen the statement from the National Sexuality Education Standards that aligns with sexual health, and it's it's recommended to be taught for young people up to grade five. So it's in the grades three through five grade spectrum. And this is how it reads, and I'd like your your thoughts on this, if you agree or any any recommendations regarding it. So it reads, by the end of fifth grade, Students should be able to define STDs, including HIV, and clarify common myths about transmission. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that is a good goal at that age group. Um, people are starting to learn about um Start, starting to understand germs, transmission, infection, and sex. And um, you want to try to educate people about sexually transmitted diseases or sexually transmitted infections as early as they um, as early as you can before they may become um, sexually active so that they can um, act in a manner that um, keeps them safe. So I, I, I totally agree with that goal, um, you know, letting children know that STDs are infections that are spread, you know, when you have either vaginal, anal, oral sex from, you know, really through close physical contact um, and, you know, talking to them about um, some of the myths of transmission. I guess, what are some of the things that you've heard about STDs? What, What are some of the myths of transmission that you're aware of? thinking of college students, when I go over this with college students, that it's still, it's in the gay population and it can't happen to me. And that is totally incorrect because it can be, it can be transferred from somebody who tests positive. If you engage in risk behaviors, whether that be through sexual contact, like you had said, sharing drug equipment. Um, But one thing that just stands out to me is that I'll ask the question that if you do have HIV, if there's a student, I should say, if there's a student in your class, do you have to be told? Or if the teacher has it, do the students have to be told? And some of them think that, yeah, you have to tell the school and that a teacher has the right to know if a student has HIV. But it's like, well, you don't get HIV from everyday contact. You don't. Mm-hmm. And if there's any inappropriate behaviors going on between a student and a teacher, that teacher needs to be removed. Uh, and, you know, seek out the the police and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But they're, they're really thinking that, well, yeah, I want to know. Meanwhile, some people partake in risky behaviors, but they don't think it ha- can happen to them. Does that make yeah. sense? Because mm-hmm. yeah. I find it, and I know all of us, you know, we don't think anything could ever happen to us. And sometimes stuff happens. Germs happen. They're mm-hmm. all around us, like we said at the beginning of this conversation. So it's more of that there's still some myths around, well, I want to know because I might get it from a student because I train a lot of future educators or it only happens to certain people, but it can happen. It cannot happen to me because I'm heterosexual or I only do this stuff. And 
the risky behaviors, sharing drug equipment, sexual behaviors, talk to the people beforehand. Like I'm such a proponent of talking beforehand, which is why I uh, created the talk before sex app. Mm -hmm. I don't talk about it much on this podcast because I talk more about the talk puberty app, but the talk before sex app I created and which is only questions that if you and I were going to do something risky, we could look at the app and start talking about things Mm -hmm. before doing them because it's to support better communication. So we might still do something, but at least let's put stuff on the table. Like, well, what do you think about HIV or other germs? Have you ever been tested? That kind of stuff. Because I I just want people to be honest with themselves as well as a potential partner. Yeah, I agree. And all those um, misconceptions that you mentioned are, um, you know, false, but also dangerous because it prevents you from really um, acting in a way that can keep yourself safe. So yes, things like um, HIV or hepatitis B, those aren't going to spread by contact. So you don't need to know someone's status um, if you're just sitting next to them or whatever. But if you are having sexual contact with them or sharing needles, because those are spread by blood, then yes, it is. um, You would want to have those conversations to know you know, are, are you infected? Have you been treated? Um, you know, again, there are lots of, uh, treatments available for a lot of, um, STDs that can either get rid of them completely, really only, um, a couple stay with you forever, like HIV or herpes at this time. And even now there's still ways that you can try to, uh, reduce the risk of transmission by taking medications to make sure your viral load is low or um, in the case of herpes, trying to avoid sexual contact if you have or any, you know, either other physical contact if you have any lesions. But another thing I would say is like a lot of people think, oh, if somebody's infected with something, I will see it. I will. Um, yeah. And so I'll know. And that's not always true. People can be infected with HIV. Um, and often, you know, the average used to be about 10 years until detection and um, because you didn't have any physical symptoms, your immune system was still functioning enough until many, many years later. Um, or things like chlamydia, sometimes people may not have any symptoms of that or gonorrhea. So it is possible um, to still spread things even when you don't um, know. So it's important to get tested Um frequently, you know, regularly, um, and accordance to your exposure. Yeah. And thank you for bringing that up. I, I certainly don't want people to think I'm shaming. So any listener out there, I'm not saying don't do, don't be sexually active. I'm not saying that what I'm a supporter of is if you're going to do certain things, talk with people beforehand, get tested for yourself have other people get tested because you have the right to be happy and healthy. Mm-hmm. And it does happen, you know, people get germs and it's okay that people get germs, but why not do these healthy practices to try to prevent them? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it, and it starts with talking to young people about, well, what is a germ? And then how it's passed. And you had said, you know, sometimes it's by touch. Sometimes it's by, you know, like little droplets coming from our mouths or our nose. And then sometimes it's from other fluids in our body, blood, 
uh, certainly sexual fluids from the vagina or from the, um, the penis. So to protect ourselves, to lower the risk of contracting things. Mm -hmm. And I will also say, um, you know, sometimes people might use birth control and, you know, think, oh, I'm okay. But birth control is not going to protect you from a sexually transmitted infection. It will, you know, birth control greatly reduces your risk of becoming pregnant. But one thing that you can do is use a condom to reduce your risk of sexually transmitted protection. So you might think, oh, you know, I'm on this pill or I have an IUD, but that's not necessarily um, enough if you're concerned about infections. Yeah. Well, as we come to the end of this recording, and I love the discourse that we're having, I, I love talking about prevention, intervention, but as we come towards the end, is there any advice that you have for any young people that might be listening in? I would say um, there are a couple of things um, in terms of germ transmission, just being mindful of how germs are spreading from your person or could be coming to you from somebody else is important. So again, it is, if you're sneezing, sneeze into the, um, into your elbow. Um, if you are, um, touching lots of services, wash your hands frequently. You know, those are very, very important. We're in the age of COVID. Wear a mask if you're in very crowded places um, that don't have good ventilation because, um, you know, that infection and others are airborne and that can reduce your risk of transmission to yourself. Or even if you're sick, um, you know, unknowingly of spreading it to other people, especially if you're around people that are vulnerable, if you're around elderly people, um, visiting people in the hospital where, you know, they're sick, their immune system might be a little bit weakened. Um, babies now, I guess, under six months that still can't be vaccinated, still be mindful of them because some people, yes, they can get infected with COVID and shake it off, but other people can have long-term consequences. And, you know, about 300 people or more are still dying a day from that only in the States. And then the last thing I would say is get vaccinated against all diseases, but right now um, against COVID. One other thing I will mention is that there is a new um, disease that's circulating here, um, we'll say in the States, uh, although it's endemic in other parts of the world, monkeypox. So um, that's an infection um, that is spread by contact. And even though it's primarily being described as spreading against um, among a community of men that have sex with men, it is a contact um, uh, disease. If you are at high risk, as they say, if you're in that community, either you have, um, you're in the community that um, of men that have sex with men or bisexual, um, or if you're in a field where you're working with individuals um, like certain healthcare providers, or you're in a very uh, close household with someone, you may want to consider getting vaccinated. And the government right now is working to increase the access to vaccines, but definitely that is something to be aware of. It's, um, it's here, it's on the horizon, and hopefully it can be contained. But I would say there are vaccines available for that, which is good. Thank you. 
And if people would like more information on any of the things that we discussed today, where do you recommend they go? I look at the CDC website when I want to get the basic facts about everything. I think that's good. They have a lot of information that is specific to doctors, but also um, that is made for the general public to understand as well. Uh, those that's I think would be the primary website that I would go to first. Also, a lot of universities have. Um, information pages about different illnesses. So if you go to, you know, whatever local university hospital in your area or major medical center, they tend to have information pages that have reliable, um, you know, reliable, truthful information. So those would be my major sources for information. And then your doctor as well. (laughs) Your doctor trained for many, many years to understand this and uh, they would be able to help you or direct you to another specialist that could answer your questions. And I have to do the plug here that if you want to learn more about vaccines, get that book, Anjali the Brave, all about vaccines that you're the co-author of. Yes, it breaks down a little bit of the science and the history, easy to understand for anyone. And you can um, read more about that um, on the website, www.AnjaliTheBrave, or on Instagram, AnjaliTheBrave, or you can follow me at Dr. Ajwa on Instagram as well. Um, But yes, thank you. And I will make sure that we have those links in today's description so people can find your book as well as more information about you if they want to follow you or something like that that'd be really great so thank you so much for your time today i really appreciate your time and again uh, i'm speaking with dr ajua smalls monte it's been great being here speaking with you Lori. thank you again for having me and i just hope that everyone find some knowledge from this episode and feels better empowered to keep themselves safe. Great. Well, thank you again. And to our listeners, thank you so much for listening in. Please check out the links that are in the description for today's episode. If you'd like to connect with me, feel free to email me at pubertyprof at gmail.com or go to pubertyprof.com on online. That's my website. So thanks again for listening in, and I hope that you have a happy and healthy day. Thank you for listening to the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics. Did you enjoy this episode? Please like, share, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow the Puberty Prof on Twitter or Instagram. The Puberty Prof, Lori Reichel, wants to hear from you. Go to pubertyprof.com or click on the link in this episode's description. There you can find more information, as well as ask questions to be answered by the Puberty Prof in a future episode. That's pubertyprof.com. Also, remember to check out the Talk Puberty app and the book, Common Questions Children Ask About Puberty. Until next time, this is the Puberty Prof Podcast where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics.